Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I am delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Florence Chan to discuss her journey from big law paralegal to becoming an incredibly experienced legal ops leader. Thank you for joining us, Florence. What led you to studying a BA at UC Davis? Yeah, thanks for having me on. And it's this is interesting because, you know, this is like my origin story, whether I'm a hero or a villain or what have you, but studying a, a bachelor's at Davis, that actually was not the case. I went in as a chemistry major and I was a chemistry major for almost three years before I decided that working in a lab by myself with almost zero interaction with anyone else was very difficult. And being an extroverted person and wanting to have interactions with a bunch of people every day, that really kind of drove me out of the lab. And I was also a English major at the time, so a double major. And so I I left the chemistry department and went full into English and then tacked on a sociology degree to hopefully assuage my parents that it's okay that I left the sciences, I will be fine. And that's kind of how that all happened. That's so interesting. And, and it's, uh, it's one of the real challenges, right, of uh, being at that stage in your life, starting college, where you've got to place a bed and try and decide what, what path is the best fit for you. But, but during those formative years, it's hard to have a really clear picture of that. When you made that transition from being a chemistry major to, to studying a BA, did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to do in your career? Absolutely not. It was not planned, which I think again, to my parents and brother's dismay, it was, what are you going to do with your life? But I always knew I loved reading, period. It, it was always uh, a hobby. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's one of those things where every young person says, you know, what is my passion? What do I like to do? And and what I liked to do was read and um, sociology was really interesting, the study of people and, and how people interact with each other. And, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And, you know, uh, culturally, uh, what is acceptable is, you know, you're either a doctor or engineer and the, the third list on the very bottom is, is, you know, a lawyer. So I said, fine, I will probably go to law school. Who knows? Fine. And and they felt a little bit better about that. I didn't actually know if I was going to go. It just was a little bit of a band-aid for now that I was leaving the sciences and entering the liberal arts. That's so interesting. Yeah, my my dad was a lawyer and I, I probably had more of a directive uh, suggestion that I go straight down the, the law route and wasn't given the wasn't necessarily given many other suggestions from home as to what path I might go down. What was your first job then after college, Florence? It went straight into big law and I was a paralegal at Morrison Forster, litigation paralegal. And boy, was that eye-opening because it was, um, you know, took the LSATs. I was going to go to law school 
and I needed a break to which I think that was probably another disappointment to my parents <laughs> that it was a little bit of a, okay, so you're not going to law school. And I said, well, I'm just going to do a year working and, and I will save up money and I will go to law school and it will be great. And so that, that was, you know, ended up in big law and, and they're like, okay, that's a real job. That's okay. So you can take a year and we will see. So that was my first job was litigation paralegal. And that year evolved, if I'm correct, into about seven years in the paralegal space. How did your work within big law as a paralegal evolve over that period of time? seven years it did not seem that long when you're you know preparing for trials and spending all those hours with documents and you know traveling and all that so this definitely is a little bit of looking backwards and saying oh yeah that that was quite a time you know and and I'm going to date myself a little bit you know day one there was there were lots of boxes with those you know red flags on paper to to indicate privileged or redaction for everyone who is gen z that is now in a database where you can checkbox something because everything is scanned or it's an electronic document so that kind of came about during my time at Big Law. So that's when tech started to kind of bubble up and it became a little bit more, okay, companies are not really keeping paper anymore. There are some companies that still have paper, but we're moving towards a little bit of the tech, but still a little bit of, you know, all hands on deck in, in law firms, a lot of human power behind things, manual, quick, but you know, lots of just throwing people on, on issues. I, I can certainly relate to that. I, I was in big law myself around the same time, certainly for the, the tail end of the physical documents everywhere and the chaos and the, the kind of volume of physical work that kind of goes with that, which is probably alien to the new generation of, of legal professionals, paralegals, legal professionals who are other legal professions professionals working in law firms or legal departments and I'm interested to understand Florence from your perspective how does that kind of experience working as a paralegal set you up or or kind of inform your approach as a legal operations professional I think when you know you're a paralegal you play the back scenes a lot in every sort of manner. And, and that suits me. I like seeing how the back end works. You try to make sure the train is running on time, make sure everyone has their, you know, what they need for them to go up there to shine, right? You have to make sure that everything is in order, numbered correctly, in the place they need it to be at the time they need it. And that kind of orderly function I think translates into what operations is, right? So you want to make sure as a litigation trial paralegal, everything is where it needs to be in the same way operations runs on the back end so that the staff um, attorneys are all able to do their job quickly. So I think that's how I always kind of imagined it was, you know, big law was how can you work efficiently and get all the data 
to the people that they need it at, you know, very quickly. So I think that just kind of translated into what legal ops was because, you know, at the time there, there wasn't anything defined that way. Absolutely. And it, it is, as, as I'm sure you're aware, such a common career path for legal operations leaders like yourselves for, for many of the reasons you've articulated. It's hyper-focused on ensuring efficient legal service delivery, whether on the, the side of the, the law firm or within the legal department. I'm curious then as to what attracted you to Sony? Well, everyone who's worked in big law as a litigation paralegal, those hours are a little bit rough, you know, the 100-hour weeks, the traveling, the trials, it's it's a lot. And at some point, it, you know, time, time to move on to something new. And I had come, come to a point in my career where I also had been doing litigation paralegal in trial setting for so long that I wanted something new, something different. And at Sony, they were looking for an IP paralegal and they were asking for someone to review all the content related to video games. And I have an older brother and I grew up on PlayStation, on Sony products and, you know, Nintendo, all that. And I, and he is, you know, my older brother. And I, it was another thing to be kind of connected to him. And, and I, so I just wanted to interview and that was, that was a game changer going to Sony. And I mean, who didn't want to play video games and watch TV all day? I, I likewise spent my teenage and early college years on playing a Sony. And uh, yeah, I can imagine it was a, a cool environment to work in and interesting projects to get exposure to. I'm curious, Florence, what you, what you said there about the long hours and, and the, that exposure you had for, for seven years that just passed so quickly to what it, what it really means to be working in a litigation team in a large law firm. Did that influence any decision at a certain point in time not to go back to school to kind of pursue a career as a lawyer? Well, now you're going to expose me to my parents now, but (laughs) yes, it was immediate, but there was always an ask during the holidays and when I saw them. So are are you going to law school? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, you know, taking some time. And, but I knew almost immediately that I did not want to work those hours for a long period of time. And, and if I was working that many hours, I frequently wondered how many hours did attorneys work? And I did not think it was humanly possible to achieve that, you know? more than 100 hour weeks so I didn't think it was sustainable and hopefully I do not offend anyone but securities law is not exciting to me it was not something that you know excited me got me out of bed and really wanted to to pursue now when I went to Sony, I did not know that there was this area of law, you know, marketing, advertising, and that was exciting to me. That was something that opened my eyes and, and was really, really fun. And outside of the kind of exposure to that different, more interesting practice area from your own personal perspective, 
Were there other differences you found working in Sony within a legal department compared to your experiences on the, the law firm side? Absolutely. It's now you're in-house corporation, a company, and all companies' bottom line is how do we make money? How do we save money? And at a law firm, it's basically just bill all your hours, bill all your hours. And now I'm trying to transition from big law where I had secretaries, EAs help me with a lot of things. Junior paralegals helped me. Someone in the copy room to help me fax, copy. Yes, I said fax. And when you go in-house, you are going to do all of that on your own. And I remember someone saying to me when I asked her to help me make a copy, she's like, I'm going to show you once and then you are going to do it yourself. And that was a little bit of an eye-opener of how in-house would work. And I'm grateful for that because now it kind of set the ground level of, okay, learning about in-house, educating myself, how legal departments work in-house and what is the expectation. It's so true. It was it was definitely an adjustment for me as well, leaving a kind of level of support kind of falling away, and having to, to develop a whole set of different skills, which, which I think is a positive as well. I'm curious, how did you find your way then into the world of legal operations that benefit cosmetics? I didn't. Uh, I think everything in my story is it, it kind of happened. And um, so they had an opening and I'd spent a couple of years at Sony getting to know how things run, how marketing advertising IP works, and actually how they staff the team. I was very, very impressed because the entire compliance and clearance team was paralegals and senior paralegals, of course, oversaw by a director who was an attorney, but it was all of us who kind of did that work or a jaded person. And I was ready to learn more, get more, see more. And I didn't know what that meant. And, you know, like every girl who has this, you know, Barbie doll dream, who doesn't want to work at a cosmetics company? And I saw it and I was ready to go because I was also done with playing video games and and, you know, watching TV, I I was, again, disappointing my brother about leaving, very happy about going into another industry that I I didn't really quite know about, you know, consumer goods. And, and I'm really excited about learning about what that means. And, and actually found out that I would be the only person in legal at that company. And I was ready to take on that challenge. And Florence, when you say you were the only person in legal, what did that mean in practice? Who, who were you reporting to and what, what sat on your desk? Yeah, everything sat on the desk. I reported to the CFO and his expectation was to lower costs as with, I think, every CFO, right? And increase revenue. So his idea was how do we start to lower law firm costs because they did not have anyone who was in legal and 
he was finding that folks would just consistently go to law firms haphazardly and just rack up bills. And so it really was project managing that and then bringing to the CFO and CEO, here are the risks and what is the risk profile of this company? You know, is this something you want to do? Where, where does this company land and all that and start to create that kind of framework and questions of, of what that means for them. So really focusing on law firm engagement and in the IP space. So what I learned in Sony of who's reviewing all the IP trademarks and copyright, all that stuff, who's, who's doing that work and somehow translating it to benefit cosmetics. And that's really interesting. And I, I think it's relatively unique, Florence, certainly in my experience, I think it's, you're the first person I've spoken to that had a reporting line directly to, to the CFO. And then I'm sure that was an incredible learning experience and great exposure to get to their way of thinking and, and strategic focus. What were the kind of key projects you felt were the most impactful over your almost four years at the company? Yeah, it was definitely eye-opening because the company was so small. And like you mentioned, I reported directly to C-Level, which was somewhat daunting, especially because I do not have a finance background and I did not know how finance people prepare and present their meetings, which by the way, is all numbers. Do not give them a story, just give them a spreadsheet and the bottom line. I failed miserably on my first presentation because I was only ever used to presenting in legal, which we all love stories. We love words. We love talking. And so that was something that I learned um, straight away. And one of the things that I think was most impactful was getting what the CFO wanted done, which was lower costs. And that meant, okay, what are we using? law firms for. And one of those things was running trademarks on products and really kind of going back to the, you know, executives to say, do you need to run this whole band of names? And can we layer it in terms of what is, you know, high impact forever, you know, your house mark, your you know, tagline, those things that will be used forever or a significant amount of time versus products that only have a shelf life of, you know, holiday timing, two, three months are those things that need to be done. It was just questions to, to start to have the conversation and then start to build that relationship with outside counsel in that, you know, hey, we're, we're looking at a different way of looking at trademarks here? Can we do this? What's the risk? And having the outside counsel start to guide the company in that way versus, yes, run everything. You know, it is a little bit of risk aversion, right? So in-house, it's a little bit of a, okay, where do we want to be? And then that was one of the things was, okay, can we start running these trademarks in-house? Can we do that? Because at Sony, they do it. So taking what Sony has already built and 
does really well, can I start to now translate what I have learned and, and take it and, and put it in other companies? And the same with law firms. What can I take at big law and do it in a smaller scale? And that's really what I started to you know, think about with my experiences that all these things are, are starting to layer each other, right? Like how do I take what I learned and, and apply it now? And what, what you said there is, is so impactful about like the power of those kind of previous experiences and the fact that maybe there hadn't been this kind of master plan as you, from day one starting college, but they all kind of built on each other, your law, big law experience, your Sony experience, bringing that all to bear then at, at Benefit Cosmetics to kind of achieve the strategic objective set by the CFO of reducing costs and aligning kind of risk and prioritization with how you did things as a legal function. I'm, I'm interested to understand, did your team have to scale then to support that, that's that plan when you mentioned bringing some work streams in house? Slightly. And, you know, you can't do everything all at once. Right. So I was doing part of that work and kind of seeing is this going to work, right? Like the way we're doing it and, and what that means. And so there was also other little projects of, you know, at every company, if there's a piece of legal mail that comes in, they run it straight to legal and I couldn't do all of it. And so did hire an intern who could help triage, right? So now I'm starting to think, oh, huh. Maybe we need someone to triage and then kind of develop where things need to go when and kind of developed a playbook of sorts of when do you start to escalate and who does it need to go to. And all this kind of just came together naturally, I think, of when I think about things, what frustrates me and why don't I know where to go? So it's like, okay, well, the next person is going to think exactly the same thing. Why don't I know where to go when this happens? So then became the playbook and the intern who actually turned into a full-time position of, okay, triage, this is how it's going to work and starting to teach her, all right, this is how you start to run trademark searches. And we always have outside counsel to back us up on, this is what we're doing. What are your thoughts? That makes a huge amount of sense. And there's so many kind of skills that you've alluded to already that became important at Benefit Cosmetics, financial literacy and speaking the language of, of finan the finance leadership team, reporting in metrics and data, obviously kind of the importance of starting to develop playbooks and processes. When you think back at that time in your career, were there kind of core skills you felt you needed to develop to ultimately kind of succeed and in a career in legal operations? Absolutely. I think reporting into the CFO was a huge bonus to learn financial literacy and understanding how all those wonderful spreadsheets work and the love-hate relationship with those spreadsheets. Because now, as you know, we have discussed big law with paper is kind of the same as Excel spreadsheets and 
what is, you know, database review for documents now is e-billing tools. And that is a game changer, right? So, but you have to know what those numbers mean and how to analyze that data. And, you know, reporting into a CFO really helped that. I have a very close relationship with finance, which in legal ops function, your your next best buddy is your FP&A person, right? So you have to understand what they're talking about, what they're looking for, and how to look at all that data. So that was something that I needed to learn quick. I think I had talked about presenting up to C-levels and knowing your audience and who that is. And that was a huge part of the learning process of what legal ops is. I think just learning to sell, hey, how can we be better? How can we be more efficient? How can we save money? Everyone loves to hear that. So that was something that was important to me to learn how to speak to the executives. I think it's it's such an important point, Florence, and something I've, I was only speaking with Steph Corey, one of the, the co-founders of Clock, about this last week, the importance of those soft skills, those communication skills, as you say, the ability to to understand what's going to resonate with the senior executive audience, to sell your vision and your the projects and the value they're going to deliver to the business. And and I think you need those core financial skills. And it sounds like you almost got had a kind of an intense MBA working for the CFO directly and in, in giving you that exposure and then having to develop those communication skills and, and the confidence to know how to present effectively to leadership within the business outside of just the legal function is an incredible experience to get. I, I'm interested to understand up to that point in your career, did you have any other mentors that you felt you would kind of learn from either in a kind of structured mentoring way or, or through osmosis that, that were important to you? Yeah, I think if you're listening to the story and my life, I wish I had such a, you know, guided way and, you know, I'm going to go to person A as my mentor. And I really wish I, I were like that, but I'm very much open to, hey, what's coming up? Not that it doesn't stress me out. It stresses me out. But I think being open to what may come is great. And with that said, people who have come into my life at Sony, you know, there were folks who were senior paralegals who were doing amazing things. My boss there, she was taking on all the privacy matters. There was no privacy attorney at the time, you know, again, there was the, the attorney who was overseeing the team, but she really owned that. And just people who were very curious about things and, and how to make things better. There are lots of attorneys who showed me the way of how do we work together versus the hierarchy of what legal is, what you think it was, or, you know, how legal operations is starting to change that, that we're trying to partner together to get things done. And I found that that was what spoke to me. People who are trying to change things, trying to make things better, trying to make each other's lives better, not just in the legal space, but how that all kind of comes together. And I really think, you know, that's how you succeed is you're taking little bits from every part of your life and putting it together. And even children, they, I think, you know, when I volunteer with them and talk to them, 
there is this natural wonder of how things work. And that is where legal operations is. How does this work? Why is it working that way? You know, I know parents who are listening to this will be like, oh God, if they ask me one more time why, I am going to lose it. But think about it in, in, you know, your job. Why is it done this way? Does it have to be done this way? Maybe it's the best way, but let's, let's explore that a little bit. I'm nodding along here. I have a three-year-old daughter and why is the first word out of her mouth? And it's, it's just great to see that, that curiosity and, and experiencing the world for the first time and wanting to understand how, how things work. And, and I think it's such an important point is challenging the status quo and, and seeing are there ways to, to do things more effectively and starting from first principles. What, why is it done this way? Why does this make sense? And asking people to answer that very simple question can lead to a bit of discomfort sometimes, but definitely transformation and, and progress. What then attracted you to Evernote, given the success you had at, at Benefit Cosmetics? Yeah, I always wanted to be back in tech. After leaving Sony, it was a little bit of missing that, you know, going to consumer goods. It was a new area, but, you know, FDA, it's somewhat the same and that kind of um, business. So it was a little bit of a what is forward thinking? What is challenging the status quo? What is open to new ideas, transformative ideas? And I think that's what legal ops is. And it just was a perfect fit that I'm trying to do the same for legal as what tech does in general. And so I think it was a perfect fit that they were looking for a new legal ops person and I was ready to go back to tech. And yeah, that, that was a change. So moving over to Evernote was something different. And were there things you did differently scaling a legal ops function the second time around, maybe given you were working in tech or the speed the company was moving at or where it was at from the maturity of its legal department? Yes, it is very different in that now, even though I, I'm in, you know, old school Sony tech, where everything is about playbooks, tools, you go from A to Z, very simply, you're now in startup mode where none of that or very little is built. And it's a, yeah, move fast, just do it. Don't document, get it done. And it was understanding again, where am I? Read the company, read the you know tools in place and starting to understand that dog fooding is a big part of startup world and utilizing your tools. So I had to learn, okay, we are going to try to use Evernote for a majority of our things versus purchasing a tool first and seeing how that would work. That's, that's so true. And I, I'm kind of interested to understand what, what that kind of meant in practice for you. What, what were the kind of core, core projects you had to hone in on or, or prioritize? Again, it was a small legal team. At the time when I joined, there were three attorneys. So it was the general counsel, privacy attorney, and then a commercial slash IP attorney. And 
again, not enough hands to look at every single thing that comes around. So you always look at the low hanging fruit. What is a low hanging fruit? What's coming in? And I think every company is probably NDAs. So you build a playbook off that. Again, you work with the attorneys to understand the risk tolerance. What does that mean? Do we have substituting clauses or what are we willing to take and those kinds of things and we start to build that so that was a huge part of the building and, and scaling of the team and allowing the attorneys to do real core work instead of looking at NDAs and something I've, I've spoken to other legal ops leaders about is is the importance of kind of self-awareness around what environment suits your skill set the best? You, you referenced the fact in Sony, these processes were built, there was a playbook for everything and you were kind of, to some extent, it sounds like working within those parameters. Whereas obviously at Evernote or Benefit Cosmetics, you're starting from scratch and you're having to figure out how to build the processes or find that low hanging fruit that's going to have the bigger impact. For you personally, do you think you have a, a strong, it's, I, I suspect I know the answer, but a, a strong preference as to which environment suits you best and, and how important do you think that is for any of our listeners who are considering what type of role they, they should focus on for their own career development? Yeah, these are great questions, Alex, and I think about it all the time when I go into companies because I love building. It is chaos, but I love building. And I love turning around and seeing what got built. And it's hectic, but I really enjoy it. I find that sometimes folks are unhappy in their situations because it's so much chaos. Or alternatively, they're, I'm only doing this one thing every day. And that really is you understanding yourself to say, okay, maybe I like chaos. Maybe I like doing things because there is a A through Z and that's what we're supposed to do. And it really is, nothing is, one is better than the other. It's just understanding where do you want to be and who you are. Um, my family likes to call me a hurricane and I, I am, I love it. I, I love seeing it. And so, and I love cleaning it up. So it's one of those things like a Marie Kondo situation where she goes into a house and she's like, wow, it's all this opportunity to make it better. And, and I really find joy in that. It's what's so exciting about the legal ops function, its emergence, the fact so many organizations are, are buying into it for the first time. It's creating those chaotic situations for people like yourself to thrive in. You obviously then transitioned to, to Cloudflare as, as the first legal ops hire there. How did you go about aligning with the general counsel's vision? Yes. So I give major kudos to legal departments, general counsels who are already looking for a legal operations person because they know that they want to spend their time on in-depth legal analysis and having someone else to handle the operational side of a team is huge for them. So just speaking with my current general counsel, it was one of the things of 
okay, what is it that you want to do for this team? Where can I provide support? Because without that relationship of understanding what legal operations does, you cannot be successful, right? You need that backing of a general counsel of allowing a legal operations person to go in and kind of kick up the dust, ask the questions, but not be in a way that's offensive, right? Like nobody likes somebody coming in and say, why are you doing it this way? This is all wrong. Nobody likes that. So it's really being a curious person, understanding the landscape and also including folks on getting that buy-in of what are your thoughts of doing it this way? And would that alleviate your pain points of what's going on right now? I couldn't agree more, Florence. And I think it's, it's the most commonly discussed theme on the podcast is the importance of that alignment with the general counsel or CLO and, and that shared vision and bringing people on that journey then. What initiatives have been the most impactful since you've joined? Yes, we have established a CLM tool. Like any startup, they did not have a single place to go for procurement purchases and to collect all the approvals and signatures and red lines in one place. That was something that I thought really needed to happen. And so putting that together and also kind of looking at how the team needs to be staffed in that, again, if we go back to benefit of me understanding that I cannot do everything, can I start to have someone triage for me and then hiring someone who had a little bit less experience and can start to triage? I was taking that as a can we start to do that on a bigger scale now? Can we start to do that on the commercial team, on the privacy team, and start to build that a little bit of a ground up of triaging? This is when you need to escalate. This is when you need to escalate again. And I think that helps with how much time folks are spending on things, the low level things that can be addressed. And disseminating that knowledge to the rest of the company is huge. I'm sure every company has something of like an internal wiki and all that. If people can find the answer, they will not come bother you if it's easily accessible. And I found that also at Benefit that we were starting to do this really awesome newsletter called Legal Eagle and made it really nice and funny. And, and we would do these fun facts and what to look out for. And then we would do these quizzes and get people engaged. And I found that when you do that, people want to be a part of helping and, and getting their own information. And I think just being that cheerleader for legal is huge to kind of show people, hey, we want to help you. We're not the no fun team. We're the yes and team. That's such an important philosophy, Florence. And having that attitude of how do we more effectively partner with the business, engage with them, give them the answers they need more efficiently. And then, as you say, the power of triaging and, and freeing up 
often very expensive in-house lawyer resources from mundane activities or time that's not well spent is a major win, both in terms of the engagement, I imagine, and, and job satisfaction of those lawyers themselves, but also speed of service delivery and freeing up their time to focus on the more strategic work for the organization. So it sounds like a great example of, of aligning with the general counsel on what's going to have the biggest impact and then going about in a very intentional way and executing on that. I'm interested to understand how the pandemic has affected how your legal team works. Most of the legal team was in San Francisco. And when the pandemic hit, I was already thinking, okay, this team is scaling, the company is scaling to our other offices, Lisbon, Austin, all these new offices, how are we going to scale? Because in San Francisco, we just have this really tight knit community already because we're all there. We see each other all the time. And I like to think of things half glass full, COVID hit. Yes, it was terrible, but it also fast forwarded our plan of how do we scale? Because we can't do this in-person thing anymore. And so what does that mean? So it really meant being very aware of having these 10-minute stand-ups or open times on, I guess, a open period on your calendar saying, hey, drop by this room for any questions. Because that's what happens in the office, right? You're sitting at your desk and someone comes by and says, hey, I have a question. That can't happen anymore. And as you scale throughout the world, that's not going to happen. And so how do you still maintain that open door policy? Now, it also means we're not going to be on 24-7. So being really aware of each other's calendars of, okay, that is blocked. And reminding folks, hey, yeah, maybe you should block out a 30-minute lunch period. Maybe you should block out a quote-unquote travel time. There was always a time period where 7 to 8 a.m., you're traveling to the office, so you can't have a meeting. So maybe blocking off that kind of time. And, you know, socially, we would have these happy hour drop-ins on Zoom and kind of just connect with each other on a social level. For a time there, we, I think it was... Well, the end of Game of Thrones, maybe, and we would have a chat room or a Zoom room. Anybody could drop in and be like, what happened? It was a Monday and we would talk about it. Or even I think maybe it was Westworld. It was one of those shows where we, we could have water cooler talk. And just to maintain that relationship with everyone was important. I think what strikes me, Florence, is your team at Cloudflare seems to have such a, a great attitude towards being open to the business, creative in ways with engaging with the business. I love that kind of open door virtual policy and, and that idea of the office hours. I, I haven't heard of any other kind of legal team doing it. And, and equally, the importance of having that empathy for the fact that teams are distributed, individuals are in different time zones. It's important to maintain that work-life balance and, and look after each other in that way as well. So it it sounds like you're really developing an amazing culture and, a, and one that is really collaborative with the business and a lot of fun as well. There might have been uh, the makings of your own podcast, Game of Thrones fan group podcast there as well on the side. A, a few final questions unrelated to the world of legal operations. You, you've already referenced the importance your, your, your volunteering work plays, plays in your life. What initiatives have you gotten involved with and, and why did you choose them? 
Yes. So I think I have three or four things that I really like to support. And one is food. I love food. Who doesn't? And I believe that everyone should eat. So I volunteer at a lot of food-related places, food banks, soup kitchens. I find joy in that, that people are fed and, and it nourishes their soul. I think I mentioned this, children, their endless wonder is amazing. And it brings me joy when you see them so excited about something so small. And it reminds me of, in my day-to-day life, of what is so small that you can get excited about? You go outside and the sun is shining. It's amazing, right? A breath of fresh air. And it is AAPI Heritage Month, so I do support a lot of that. And um, you know, during the pandemic, it, it has been difficult to go and volunteer in person. Thank God for social media because I found a nonprofit that that was started during the pandemic called, I believe, Heart of Dinner, and they accept handmade cards. Shameless plug. Everyone, you can Google that and and send handmade cards to them where they make dinners for the AAPI elderly and they send out these foods with cards and it just brings so much smile to to everyone's face and, and I really enjoy doing that. And I really want to uplift people on the day-to-day. And, and I, I think that transcends into legal ops. I want to make everyone's life in legal easier. How can I do that? And, and I think my whole story is that how can I make folks' lives better? How can I make things generally better? Even though it's work, right? Or it's Monday, Tuesday. How does how does this help you today? And that's, that's what I think, even in a small way, that's what I think is important is just bringing someone a smile to their face. Why not? I couldn't agree more, Florence. And I think something that's really hit me from our conversation today is all of your life experiences and the different jobs you've had and your volunteering work, it all kind of it seems like bleeds into each other and feeds feeds each other. And, and I think uh, the the most impactful, inspiring legal ops leaders I've I've had the pleasure of speaking with like yourself, have that creativity, that sense of joy. And they bring that kind of that, 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 that approach to work every day. And, and that really does inspire others and bring them along on on that journey. And it really uh, comes, comes through in spades from, from speaking with you. And that really is remarkable and inspiring uh, to hear the, the time that you give back to others, the work that you do, and then, and then how you, how you even apply that in your own career. When you aren't scaling legal ops or volunteering, is there anything else you enjoy doing in your spare time? I love exploring. I love being outside. Like I said, the sunshine or rain, it's amazing. So I Previously climbed mountains. I, I started surfing about probably, I want to say 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. Um, you know, just the challenges of being outside and dealing with the elements. It's amazing. It's things that you cannot control. And it's a good thing to remind yourself, like you can't control everything. How are you going to roll with it? And surfing was one of those big things where you sit out on the wave, you cannot control what's coming to you. You don't know when it's coming. 
you sit there and you think about it and you are prepared to take on the next wave. And so, and you work really hard to catch it. And I think it's just one of those things in life, like same thing. When is the next wave coming? How do you roll with it? You get under that wave and, and it's smacking you around. You're going to get out of it. So you survive 100% of your bad days. I'm not sure if you, you've ever uh, experienced surfing in, in Ireland and the West Coast, but there's some, some pretty big waves there. You might need a, a wetsuit uh, if you're going to surf there, but hopefully sometime we'll be able to get you over and, and you get to experience that. But Florence, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an incredibly inspiring conversation and, and I, I personally have taken a huge amount from it. Thank you so much, Alex. This is so fun. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.